Welcome to the podcast of Lancaster Brethren in Christ Church, located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. LBIC is a community being transformed by the love of Jesus, sharing this love with all people. We want this podcast to be an extension of our community and a connection with familiar voices. Together, we want to think about how to follow Jesus in our particular moment. So enjoy the podcast. We're grateful to have you join us as a part of the LBIC family. <laughs> uh, as Jane was up here, I, um, I thought I, there's something I need to share with you all about Jane. Um, that's a good thing, uh, but, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's going to be coming up soon. So Jane's been with us for six years. Um, thank you for staying this long. Appreciate it. Yay! Um, her contract is coming up and is being renewed, so don't worry about that. I'm not doing what I did with Brian before, if you were here for that, which made it sound like he was quitting, but that wasn't the case either. Um, but Jane is going to be uh, taking a sabbatical from uh, mid-May to mid-July, end of July, beginning of August. She's taking a sabbatical. Um, <laughs> she has to contractually come back, actually. Uh, if you take a sabbatical here, you're mandated to come back for at least a year. So, um, yeah. But we wanted to share that with the church family. Uh, one of the things I appreciate about our, our leadership team, a um, couple things, actually. One, uh, when we wrote our sabbatical policy a number of years ago, uh, it was only for full-timers. It only applied to full-time people. Um, but I, I, I asked for one for Jane um, because she... she Kind of deserves it, I think. Uh, but it's always good to have a rest before you, you really need a rest. Uh, and so sabbaticals are to be resting and renewing for us, and it's better to, to take them when you're not burned out rather than when you're getting on the verge of being burned out. And so she's not burned out, uh, but this is coming about a year earlier than what would be typical. Usually it's every seven years, but Mike, where is Mike? There's Mike. He's retiring from teaching this year. Um, this is his last year after how many years? 30, that's it, just 32 years? Okay. <laughs> Middle school, nonetheless. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you see the halo above Mike's head, that's why. Uh, but he's retiring this year, and so um, uh, leadership team granted her uh, a year early so she can have some time with Mike and, and with family and things. So uh, just wanted to put that out there. There'll be more information and stuff coming. Um, but it's, it came a little quicker than when, when mine came about. Uh, but that was just kind of the not last minute nature of it. But um, it w hadn't been planned so far ahead. So anyway, appreciate you. Yeah, and I'm glad you're coming back for at least a year. Although... I told her she can't retire until I do. I'm not sure what that says. She also says I'm crazy, so. I, I, you also say I'm crazy when I say that. Yeah, that's probably not gonna happen. Well, we are uh, in full, uh, in, the, in the throes of Lent here, and uh, earlier in the week, for those of you who are uh, part of our congregation, I sent out a weekly email with just some reflections on Lent. And, one of the things that I appreciate about the season of Lent is uh, this idea of repentance um, and the opportunity that it affords us to pay attention to this theme of repentance. 
Uh, if, if you have kind of an aversion to the word repentance, maybe uh, you've um, had people use it in less helpful ways. Maybe there's been some angry preachers in your day who have used it in, a, in an unhelpful way and, and it's, not, it's more of a fear-inducing thing than it is a freedom-inducing thing. Um, hang with me here. Uh, I think repentance is a, is a helpful, um, it's not only helpful, but it's necessary. And, and one of the ways that I talk about repentance is just uh, thinking about it in a way that helps us to be honest about who we are. And, and so when we repent, we're taking an honest inventory and an honest look at our hearts and what's going on in our lives, and, and we're just being honest about who we are before God. And there's a change of direction that happens in repentance, one that is not based upon fear, it's not induced by fear, but it's actually induced by love because the love of God continues to draw us to God's self as we repent. And so repentance is just this way of being honest uh, about ourselves before a loving God. And it's kind of what undergirds this entire season of, of Lent. Uh, Jane read Psalm 32 earlier, and we're gonna go through, uh, through Psalm 32 this morning uh, during the message, but uh, this psalm does a great job uh, framing the themes of Lent, themes of forgiveness and sin and confession and repentance and the steadfast love of God. Uh, so we're going to read this psalm now, and maybe it's one uh, that you just want to return to through, throughout the season of, of Lent as you're also copying scripture. And by the way, I was behind too until yesterday, all caught up, but I didn't do it today yet. Anyway, Psalm 32, follow along with me as I read. This is a Psalm of David. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. What I'd invite us to pay attention to is the way a particular Hebrew word is used in two different ways that helps us to understand this psalm. The Hebrew word is kasa, K-A-S-A, and we find it in verses 1 and 5. In verse 1 we read, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, kasa, covered. Verse 5, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up kasa, my iniquity. So this word is used in two different ways, verse 1 and verse 5. Let's look first at verse 1. 
This is a psalm that is attributed to David, and it's one of those psalms that is linked uh, kind of side by side with Psalm 51. And so David is writing this psalm out of uh, his experience with his adultery with Bathsheba, not only his adultery with her, but the killing of her husband. But this psalm doesn't begin with David and with David's sin. It begins with God, which is always a good place to begin. We never begin with just ourselves. We begin first with God. The work of God at the beginning of this psalm is to cover David's sin. What does this mean? What does this mean to cover? Does it mean to cover it up? Does it mean to pretend like it didn't happen? So if this word kasa is used twice, and its, meant, uh, its meaning is to cover up, there are two different kinds of covering up here. And so is God just covering up for David? Is he just hiding it so that nobody else knows about it? That's not what's happening here. Uh, instead, what's happening is this covering up comes within, is specifically paired with the context of forgiveness. God is covering David's sin, just like God covers our sin with God's forgiveness. This is not pretending like something doesn't happen or hasn't happened. In fact, this kind of covering is naming that something has happened. And the covering of forgiveness is the healing that God brings to the sins that we've committed, described here in this passage as transgressions. Like the word repentance, sin is also uh, an unpopular word. It's probably unpopular for many reasons, but perhaps one of the strongest reasons it's unpopular is because of the hyper-individualism of our culture. So we like to determine what is best for ourselves. We like to determine what we can get away with, what we think is good or what we think is not good. And it's become a very hyper-individualistic way of uh, of determining right from wrong. I actually find the idea of sin to be freeing, not so that I can go and sin and do whatever I want to, um, but the idea of sin helps me to understand something. It helps me to name my lived experience. So sin is a concept, uh, sin is a word, helps me name my lived experience. When I know within my heart, in my soul, my life, as I look at it, that something's off, and I might not be able to put my finger on it, but I feel it. And so sin, I think, is a helpful term. Again, like repentance, it's been used maybe in ways that are fear-inducing, but I think sin is another way for us to simply be honest about ourselves. Sometimes sin is a thing that we can put our finger on. Sometimes it's more of a pattern of things that happen over the course of our lives that um, enact certain rhythms in our lives that are unhealthy or not what God intends or has for us. But I think sin is helpful in a term that helps us to understand and, and give name to something that is off in our lives. And this is the second meaning then of the use of the word kasab. In verse 5, it talks about, David talks about covering up our iniquity. The implication is here is that David is living deceitfully. This is what it says in verses 3 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. 
My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Notice here how David's association with sin and covering up. So this kind of covering up is, is trying to pretend as if there's nothing happening and nothing going on. It's not living openly and outwardly before God. It's not living honestly before God and other people. Rather, it's living dishonestly. It's when we live deceitfully with one another or with ourselves or with God. We're trying to cover up. We're trying to make, no, make sure nobody knows what's happening inside of us, the struggles that we're having, the ways that we're departing from faith. It's trying to cover ourselves up. And notice what happens here, the way David poetically describes it. This covering up, this living deceitfully, is actually experienced in his body. Now this is poetic language that describes a physical reality, but I think it's an important reality for us to pay attention to. Now this is not always the case, not always the case, uh, but there are some times in our lives where what is happening spiritually affects us physically. Now, if we say that that's the case all the time, then, then you know, anytime you're sick, well, what's the sin in your life? You know, that kind of thing. So it's not the case all the time. There's, sometimes you're just sick. Sometimes things are not just well. But sometimes, because we are integrated beings, we're not just a spiritual being when we have our spiritual selves, and we're not just a physical being when we're doing our, our physical things, but because we're integrated, sometimes when our body is off, sometimes, it's telling us something about where our spirit is off. It's telling us something about how we're covering ourselves up. Because it takes, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I've certainly experienced this, it takes an immense amount of effort to live deceitfully, at least in the beginning. Maybe it comes to a time where just, it becomes a way of life, but in the beginning, it takes a lot of effort to live deceitfully, to cover up, to pretend like everything is okay when everything is not okay. And this is David's experience here. He feels in his body, he feels in his body the effects of, I mean, these are not small things, right? The effects of murder and adultery, right? These are pretty big things. But they don't, all, they don't have to describe just big sins either. They can be small patterns that we develop in our life where we just develop patterns of sins where things just become off. And in a very simplistic sense, if, if you have a bullseye, sin is, is very easily just kind of missing the mark. So sometimes we think sins have to be these big things, but a lot of times it's just missing the mark where something is off about us. So covering up ourselves in this way, in this form of kasa, is exhausting, exhausting work. In David's uh, day and age, there would have been the gods of the Baals, and so there would be this attempt to manipulate the gods in order to make the gods okay with you. Uh, and that's not something that just happens then. It's something I think that all of us probably at one time or another do as well. Um, we try to appease God as well. We try to earn ourselves back into God's good graces, and this becomes tiring, trying to earn our way back to God when we find there is something 
off in our lives. Let me tell you something, though. When you're doing this, when you're trying to earn your way back to God into God's good graces, you're actually not doing it for God. You're doing it for yourself. Because this is not what the God that is revealed to us in Jesus, this is not what he ever asks for. And so when you're attempting to earn your way back to God, it really has to do more about you, it has to do more with you than it does with God because that's not something that God is asking for. What is God asking for? God is asking for honesty about who you are because you can try to earn your way back without ever uncovering anything that's happening inside. Walter Brueggemann suggests this, that the hope for Israel, this quote's in your bulletin, the hope for Israel and for all humanity, friends, is not sinlessness. That's a given. Like, we're going to sin. That is going to be something, that doesn't excuse it, but that just says that's the way things are. It's not sinlessness. The hope for all of humanity is not sinlessness, but forgiveness by Yahweh, which is freely offered. And forgiveness is never far off because God is never far off. God is simply waiting closely for us to be honest, for us to confess. However, for many of us, for for me, and I think this is just, again, part of human nature, it takes time for us to be able to confess. Because sometimes it's not exactly certain, we're not exactly certain what we need to confess. Again, there are these sins that plague us which are very direct and and, and maybe easy to identify, but I think what is harder to identify are these patterns in our lives, these patterns of thinking, these patterns of behaving that are really uh, anti the life that Jesus has for us and wants for us, and they just kind of become ingrained in, in us. This is why counselors are wonderful. This is why spiritual directors are wonderful. It's because we need help. We need somebody to reflect back to us to help us to understand where the patterns in our life are off. It's helpful. Um, There's there's something Protestants probably have lost, like at at its worst, confessors in the priesthood within the Catholic Church, could could be manipulative in some ways, but in the same way, how beautiful is it to have someone that you can come to, to kind of just bear all to, and then have them act as the voice of God to you to say, you are forgiven. Sometimes we need to hear that. We need to hear the message that you are forgiven, that I receive your confession, and that you are forgiven. Sometimes it just takes longer for us to figure these things out or for God to, to, to work to reveal it to us. Um, there, there's a way that I think about it, uh, too, um, when it talks about uh, this physical kind of pressing in that David experiences. Um, Sometimes we experience God's presence in a way that makes us just un- uncomfortable because we try to cover ourselves up. Right? We're trying to hide, and this is Genesis 3 language. This is what we find in the story of Genesis 3. They're literally covering themselves up, right? Leaves all over the place or whatnot. They're hiding behind a bush, whatever um, imagery that you want to use. But then God comes just walking about. Cool today. Hey, guys, where are you? And they're hiding. 
because that's our inclination is to hide, but God's inclination and God's nature is to search out. But what happens when we're in hiding and we feel that God is searching out, when we have a posture of fear towards God, that searching out becomes being afraid of God. But from God's posture, when he's searching people out in the garden, when he's searching you out in your hiding, it's not to induce fear in you, it's to bring about freedom. The fear comes from what you're thinking of God, not what God is thinking of you. And Psalm 139, um, a different psalm, talks about God hemming us in. It's like, this is, I think, is gracious and merciful of God. God won't let us just say, hey, I just want to hang out in my sin and everything be good and normal. God is going to press in on us. Because God doesn't want us to settle for less than what God's best is for us. And so this pressing in of God isn't so that we're guilting ourselves or feeling miserable about ourselves. It's to bring us freedom. And so in this activity, when we, when we start to cover ourselves up and we start to be feeling uncomfortable around God, it's, it, it's because God is pressing in on you. He's like, let's deal with what's going on here. Can we be truthful and can we be honest about what is happening in your life so we can bring it out into the open so I can cover it up with forgiveness? God covers up a lot better than we do. Like our hiding, our covering up, not helpful. God's covering up with forgiveness, beautiful and freeing. And so we see this confession then that David gives. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I didn't cover it up anymore. I didn't hide. I didn't live deceitfully. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Augustine says that this word of confession is scarcely on David's mouth before the wound is healed. Just think about that for a minute. I think that's... Uh, a beautiful imagery and picture. So many think, times, again, we think we need to earn our way back to God, earn our way to God's good, good graces, stop the sin before we can be forgiven. God is just waiting on that literal breath for us to use the words in our mouth to confess, God, I am sorry. And before that breath even articulates a word, the forgiveness of God covers you beautiful. The trajectory of, of covering up is very different than the trajectory of confession. Confession is living this honest life that just lives open before God. There is none of us in this space, there's no follower of Jesus, there's no human being who doesn't have the need of confession. The way of confession is a way of discipleship where we open ourselves up before God and say, this is who I am. And God already knows who you are, but part of the grace is you being able to articulate that this is who I am. And then we're covered with forgiveness. Let's move down to verses six 
and, and seven, because the, the activity of confession then is not just something that happens once, it happens regularly. And so there's this imagery of waves or, or, or the rush of mighty waters. And so if you've ever been into any place that has uh, water, very rarely does water stand still, especially if you're at the beach. It comes and goes and comes and goes and comes and goes. And there's this imagery, Caleb, if you wanna put it up there, uh, if you've never heard of this thing called the king tide before, uh, it's something that I had never heard of until uh, I had seen it in Oregon. I didn't, I didn't see it. I saw videos of it in Oregon. Um, but on the Oregon beach, there's, there's like a, hun, a, hun, a couple hundred feet of beach. And so the, there's the waves that come and go and come and go and come and go. But every once in a while then, there's this thing called the king tide. And the king tide is why they have all of these barriers, these cement barriers put up like you can see in this picture. Because the king tide just floods through all the area of beach that you can normally you know, lay on, play on, walk, all those kinds of things, floods in there and starts crashing against these barriers. And I thought of the king tide when I read uh, uh, these verses during the times of distress when sin wants to overtake me. There's, and this is, this is kind of what I think the presence of sin is like in our lives. There's, it's these waves that continue to come, recede, come, recede, come and recede. Every once in a while, it becomes this overwhelming wave that seeks to overtake us. But then there's this barrier, there's this safe place that is God that stands between us and sin and protects us and keeps us safe. And this is where David says, you are my hiding place, preserving me from trouble. There's an activity of God not only to cleanse and forgive, but there's an activity of God where you stand on who God is, and that is a way also to face the sin that is persistent in our lives. Carl, you can go get the kids here for communion. Hopefully that'll give you enough time. I always forget to like the very end. And so he asked me in the beginning and I said, I'm going to put that in my notes. So I don't forget. This rhythm and relationship of forgiveness and confession and forgiveness is a new way of being. Um, I don't think it's normal. Like, it's not a normal way of being. The norm for all of us is to hide. The norm is to cover ourselves up, to deceive ourselves, to live deceitfully to ourselves, to others, and to God. And as we do that, friends, we waste away inside. And then what happens, too, is we, we then project this internal chaos onto the world that's around us. So this doesn't just stay inside, but becomes kind of like a volcano that we just spew out upon everybody else. But God gives us a new way of being in this relationship of confession and forgiveness. Verses 8 and 9, uh, David writes, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. God instructs us. God teaches us. He does so out of love. This is a continuous thing that God does in our lives. David writes, don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. I love the imagery uh, that's, that's given here. Um, one, it helps us to understand God's role. God, it, it's a, it's a 
present and a future tense here. I will instruct. God instructs and God will continue to instruct and teach you. And that's what discipleship is all about, is this lifelong, ongoing receiving of instruction from God and from God's Spirit on how to live an honest, uncovered life before one another and before God, where we don't have to hide. It also encourages us not to be like the horse or the mule who, if unrestrained, and this is kind of what we like in in our hyper-individualistic culture, if you're unrestrained, you just kind of do what you want. You get to determine whatever you do. The antithesis of this is gaining understanding. And this is often what happens when we experience forgiveness and confession. Confession comes about because God has helped us to understand what is going on inside of us. Say that again. Confession comes about because God has helped us to understand what is happening inside of us. He might point us, uh, point us to a particular thing that we're doing or a particular way of being, but confession helps because, or it comes about because God gives us understanding. Hey guys, if you couldn't hear, the kids are coming back. I'll just give them a minute here. Understanding comes from living an open life before God, an uncovered life before God with a readiness and a willingness to confess Knowing that before the first word of confession is even on our tongue, God has covered us in forgiveness. I think this is, friends, this is a beautiful picture of what life can be like, should be like, is where we live a life that is open for God, before God, with with a willingness to confess and to be honest. Knowing that as soon as that breath kind of enters into our lungs for us to articulate that confession that God's forgiveness has covered us. We live as open, honest, and forgiven people. Verses 10 and 11 celebrate this character of God. It says, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. This uprightness is not necessarily a sinlessness. Upright simply means correct or straight. It means speaking truthfully about one's self. And so uh, to sing, all you who are upright in heart, doesn't mean all you are sinless at heart, doesn't mean all of you who got everything all together but it simply means those of you who are speaking truthfully and honestly about themselves. Round two of kids coming in. For those of you who are new here, uh, the last Sunday of the month, fourth Sunday of the month, all the kids come and join us for communion again. So this is why there is uh, an influx of kids. So as we uh, prepare for communion this morning, I'd I'd like us to be attentive 
To these two ways, this word of covering is used in Psalm 32. The first way is this inclination, or the the way that we see in verse 5, is this inclination for us to cover ourselves up, for us to live deceitfully before ourselves and before others, before God. And that has a damaging effect on our physical bodies, has a damaging effect on our relationships, on our lives. But the invitation is not to cover ourselves up, but to confess so that we might be covered in forgiveness. And forgiveness and this confession and receiving of forgiveness is being honest and naming that something has happened in our lives, but the thing that has happened isn't the defining thing. It's not the last word. Forgiveness is the last word. Forgiveness isn't pretending like nothing has ever happened. It's name that something has happened, taking ownership of what has happened, but also naming that something greater is happening that is beyond you, that comes from beyond you, that comes from beyond any way of earning, that comes from God himself. And that thing is forgiveness that covers you. In your nakedness, in your shame, God covers you. And that is the last word. And that is the way that we are invited to live, friends. Not covering ourselves up, not living deceitfully, but living openly before God and receiving God's covering of forgiveness.